Actually, the pastor's a fool, and I put that on there. So um, Alex calls me this morning and says, hey, listening guy says April 3rd. I said, yeah, I just messed up. So in that vein, any of y'all do any April Fool's yesterday? Anybody pull an April Fool's? Like I can see you. You woke up? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Well, I, I got on this website that was actually the top ten worst April Fool's of all time, and I thought I would share one of those with you. This is the dead dog April Fool's. The film National Lampoon's Vacation included a scene in which Chevy Chase ties a dog to the bumper of his car, then forgets the dog is there and drives away. Inspired by this scene, Paul Gooby tied a dead chihuahua to the bumper of his co-worker's car. Oh, wait, it gets better. His co-worker, Kevin Malloy, got in the car and drove off, unaware that the chihuahua was, was there. Obviously, passing motorists were horrified, but what made the situation even worse was that Malloy was deaf. So he couldn't hear the other motorists frantically honking at him. Happily, he drove on for miles until finally someone was able to get his attention. Police charged Gooby with unlawful disposal of a dead animal. That was, that was one of those uh, things gone awry. There's several in there. I'm not, one one um, upset spouse faked his hanging on April 1st because his wife was divorcing him and he really wanted to give her a jolt. He got in trouble with the cops, too, because she called 911. I mean... There's all kinds of stuff that goes on with, uh, with April Fools that, that's not necessarily a good thing to do. Well, we've been talking about forgiveness. And as you know, we've been calling this, uh, this series the real F word because forgiveness is the real F word. And today what I'm going to be talking about has more to do with your future than your past. But if we're going to have the future that God wants for us, we've got to deal with our past. So we're going to look at just a couple of things and then we're going to talk about this type of forgiveness that only God can give us. In week one of the series, we learned that unleashing unforgiveness is unnatural. We said that we're tethered up to the past. We're tied to the people in our past when we do not forgive them. And we ask ourselves the question, who is sitting on your bench? Who are you dragging around from relationship to relationship where you are destroying, causing all kinds of collateral damage in your relationships? Who is sitting on this bench? Could be somebody from years ago, ex-spouse. It could be an ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, a boss you didn't like. Could be your parents. Maybe somebody that's dead. Who are you carrying around from relationship to relationship? In week two, we learned that unleashing unforgiveness is unbelievable. Now, the first thing is unnatural. We don't want to do it because we like to hold on to our feelings of anger. The second week, we said there are unbelievable benefits if we allow God, our master, to unleash us from unforgiveness. There are benefits emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. And uh, God wants to do some amazing things, but we've got to allow him to do that. See, God wants to do some amazing things. That was his amen right there. Thank you, Lord. That was right on cue. I didn't write that in, by the way. Um, we also found out that just like love binds all people together, unforgiveness binds people together. And sometimes we get good at our hate because we've practiced it. And that may be the only connection that we have to that past relationship is that we are angry and we are hating that person. And that's the only thing that's left alive. And some people just enjoy their hate and, uh, and they get really good at it. Now, today, what I want you to realize, we're in this unleashing thing. Unleashing unforgiveness is unending. That's on your listening guide. Unleashing unforgiveness is unending. Now, we've been going through a series of uh, videos, and we want to show you one more in this series. Let me see if I can move this stuff so you all can see. Um, watch this and, and think about it's unending.
see if you're as good at basketball as you are at tennis, Pansy. You're in my world now, Grandma. Jesus have fallen. Jesus have fallen. Gotta forgive. I forgive. Actually, no, I don't. F you. I am tired of the Jesus F-bomb. Your powers are weak, old man. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Now, Drew is really paranoid that y'all going to think he really said that F word. It's fork. He said fork. Um, so he doesn't want you to think he's, he's one of those type of people. I have to explain a little bit if you hadn't been here. Each week, Drew would get into a situation and somebody would hit him upside with the head with the Bible and they would read him some verse and he wouldn't know what that means. And so they said it means drop the Jesus F bomb, which is forgiveness, the real F word. All right. Now, everybody can take a deep breath and realize that, that we wouldn't we wouldn't do that now. Okay, we're in this uh, this forgiveness thing, and we're talking about it is unending. Now, we tend to live in, in a 3D world, and so we've got height, depth, and width. I'm going to try to draw this. Caleb said I was pretty good at this. I know. Thank you. You do not have the microphone. Shut up, or I will not forgive you. Now, we have this, oh, well, it almost made it. We have this three-dimensional type thing going on, height, width, and depth. But what I want to talk to you about today, I have my Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D glasses. We're going to talk about 4D forgiveness, because here's the thing. I hate these things, but anyway, it's going to make a point. Whoa, that is sweet. This would look much better if you had on Lava Boy 3D glasses. Now, the deal is... We live our lives in this type of dimension. But if we want to get into the fourth dimension, that's the spiritual dimension. Dude, like in the dark, I can't see out of this eye. Um, we live in the spiritual dimension. So what we've got to do is we've got to be filled by God's spirit. This space in here, we walk around empty and we do not have the power in our own ability to forgive others, especially when they've hurt us repeatedly. And so what God wants us to do is live in the fourth dimension where his Holy Spirit comes and invades our lives that gives me a headache and invades our lives so that we have the ability to forgive others on a constant basis. Now, let's look at some things in our past that we've got to deal with before we can get to this unending forgiveness. Forgiveness, unforgiveness hinders a few things in our lives. The first thing it, un, it, it hinders is our connection with God. Hinders our connection with God. Now, when I become a follower of Christ, I have this connection with him. That's what this string is going to represent right here. As I plug it in here, as I put it up here at the ceiling, there is this vertical connection that I have with God. And you do not have this connection until you choose to become a follower of Christ. 
So when I choose to ask God to come into my life and to forgive me of my sin and, and, and to be the leader of my life, I choose to have this relationship. God offers it to everybody, but not everybody wants to connect with God. Now, this other part, this represents my relationship to other people. Now, when Jesus was asked one time, he was asked, what is the, the greatest commandment in the scripture? And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. The greatest commandment is love God. Let's see if I got enough there, Steve. Good catch. Now, Jesus said, I can sum up the whole Bible in two commands. Love God, love others. So loving God, that's worship. When I choose to follow God, I say, I am going to give you my life in return for heaven, in return for forgiveness of all of my sins. I'm giving you all that I know of me to all that I know of you. And God says, "Okay, you can become my child. But then he says, part of loving me is loving others. So I have this relationship with Steve and I have this relationship with God. Two things I'm supposed to do in this world. I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love other people. And when I harbor unforgiveness in my life, when I harbor bitterness, what it does is it cuts off my relationship with Steve, with my friend whom I can see. But what I don't realize is it also simultaneously cuts off my relationship with God. And let me show you where I get this. A couple of verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. That's kind of a rough deal. And, and God's not trying to, to be this ogre. What he is seeing is there's a problem. If I can't love Steve right here in front of my face, the Bible says that I can't love God. Let's look at where it says that in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving other people. You've got to love both. So God says, if I won't love Steve, genuinely love Steve, then God says, I'm not going to do the vertical work because you're not willing to do the horizontal work. God realizes that this is so important that, that he's not going to do the forgiveness work in our lives if I'm not going to do the forgiveness work in the lives of people around me. Second thing it hinders. Unforgiveness hinders our generosity. I become a selfish person when I, hinder, when I, when I harbor unforgiveness. It totally guts the generosity that God wants uh, me to have. When I'm hurt and I forgive you, I'm saying, I give you a gift and I'm being generous to you. If I hurt you and, and I come to you and I say, not just sorry, but will you forgive me and you forgive me, you are giving me a gift. And the amazing thing is when we're when we forgive, we're being generous. And the person who usually benefits the most from my forgiveness is me, not the person that I'm forgiving. That's a supernatural thing. That's that's living in the fourth dimension that we're going to talk about more in a second. And, and I'll tell you, you show me someone who will not forgive and I'll show you someone who hasn't experienced the forgiveness of God. Yeah, they may have believed it here with their head, but they have not experienced it because they have not experienced it. They've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. They cannot turn around and forgive others. And God says the only way you're going to be able to do this on a continual basis is if you trust me and you follow me. Unforgiveness also hinders our love. Sitting on this bench, being leased up to people in my past who've hurt me, who've done me wrong, um, hinders this love that God says I should have. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love. And if he's a loving God, he wants me to turn around and pass on that love. I'm supposed to be a conduit of his love to others. I can't do that with unforgiveness in my life. 
And uh, part of expressing love is forgiving others. Colossians 3.13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Instead of asking, how could they do this to me? What I need to be asking is, how can I still be tied up to all this junk in my past? Why would I want to live that way? Sounds like we're about to have a pretty good storm out there. Good place to be, right here on the third floor of the building. Um, We'll just head right along. Why am I doing this to myself? That's what we ought to be asking. Because when I refuse to forgive you, I am giving you control of my life. I'm handing the end of this leash to you and say, just do with me whatever you please. You have all the power over my life because I refuse to forgive you. Colossians 3.14 says, The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. What's the most important piece of clothing you can wear when you leave the house? Love. What does that look like? See, the problem is when we get hurt, we put on bitterness. We wear clothes called bitterness. And and what happens a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I'm probably the least spiritual person in the room. When I get my feelings hurt, when somebody really messes me around, what I do is I go to all my friends, both of them, and I start telling them about all of the problems I've had. Can you believe? And I just start. They did this. They did this. And it finally you look on their face and you see them going. They don't say it, but they say, shut up. I am sick of hearing about this. Now, if your friends run when they see you coming, maybe you ought to ask, is it because I have bitterness on? Is it because I'm wearing this clothing of bitterness and anger and resentment and I refuse to forgive other people? Um, You ever been around a baby that, you know, is a few weeks old and suddenly can produce stuff stench that you didn't think a newborn could produce? When when that happens, my children leave the room. You know, we're out of the diaper stage. And so we forget real quickly what it's like to have a a bad diaper. I was was over at Alex's the other day and and little Sarah, beautiful little Sarah. I walked in the room and it was like, oh, what is that? Oh, Sarah, you know, and if it's your child, you're like, oh, Sarah made a duty, you know, and you're like that. But kids, kids are like, that's nasty. And they're just going to tell you the truth and they're going to run out of the room now. If you are clothed in in unforgiveness, bitterness and anger, people are going to leave the room when you come. It is a big deal because they see you coming and what you're wearing. I'm not saying you stink, but I'm saying your attitude stinks and people see that and people don't want to be around it. My grandmother was like this. My, My grandmother on my mom's side. Now, my grandmother had all kinds of reasons to act like this, but it didn't make it make it any easier to bear. Every picture we have of my grandmother, good thing I'm not any taller, every picture we have of my grandmother, there'd be the whole family we'd be getting together. Grandmother would be like this. Every picture. Grandma, smile. And, and my mom is so angry that this, because I can show them to my kids. They never knew their great grandmother. She died when I was in eighth grade. Show it to my kids and, and they're like, what's up with great grandma? Great grandma was a bitter woman and it drove us all crazy. You could not. We finally quit taking pictures of her because that's what she did in every picture. And, and I'm thinking, just just get over it, grandma, because I know a lot of people that were in worse situations than her. They're most grace filled, peace filled people I've ever been around. And what what do people like that do? They make me want to be around them. People that are bitter and, and don't want to forgive. Sorry, you put up this 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 wall around you and nobody can get in. And so nobody wants to hang out with you. Um, now, question, does, does forgiving someone mean that I forget 
Or does it mean that I let them keep on hurting me? Well, no, absolutely not. Remember that when God forgives us, we still suffer the consequences. There are consequences that happen for my sinful actions. If I drink and drive and have a wreck, God can forgive me that. If I take someone's life, that family can forgive me that. But I'm still going to have to live with it. I may go to jail because of that. God's cleared my record, but there are still consequences to my actions. And it's the same way with forgiveness in relationships. Just because you forgive me or I forgive you doesn't mean that trust is at the same level it was before. Trust takes time to build, but it takes longer to rebuild. I'm trying to explain this to my kids. It's, you know, you build up the trust bank account. I love you unconditionally and I'm going to accept you. I'm going to be proud of you. But if you do some foolish things when I trust you, then it's going to take some time for you to be trusted again. Forgiving someone does not mean that you pretend that the sin they committed against you never happened. That'd be foolish, especially in situations like where there's physical um, abuse. That could be dangerous. And so we've got to be real careful and and realize that um, forgiveness means that you let go of the feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment and hatred. It doesn't mean you let that person continually hurt you. Now, look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. The Bible is saying it is not a sin to get angry. God gets angry. We should get angry. If we don't get angry about the right stuff, we need to check our heartbeat. We need to find out if we're alive because we should get angry about injustice. We showed the the video about um, invisible children several weeks ago. Coming up on April 29th, we're going to have the global night commute where we walk from our houses to our parking lot out here. And we spend the night out here in the parking lot. And we're doing that to raise awareness to children in Sudan who are being kidnapped and forced into um, into the army over there. We're doing that just to raise awareness because those kids that live out in the bush in Uganda, in Sudan, they walk every night. They put their whatever possessions they have, if they have any, on their back. They walk sometimes several miles into the city where they can be protected because if they stay at home at night, they can be abducted and forced to go into the army. And they choose children from five years old to 12 years old because they're old enough to carry a gun, but young enough that they can still go into the schools and recruit. We ought to be angry about stuff like that. We ought to be angry about injustice. As a pastor, there are certain things I'm supposed to get angry about. One of the things that we talk about in 101, 201, 301 is the unity of the church. And we ought to get upset if anybody tries to disrupt the unity of the church because the Bible says that, that when we're unified, the people outside the walls of the church know that we're Christians. When we are disunified, that, that gives, this, gives Satan the opportunity to come in uh, and, and to do some damage. And people think we're foolish and it hurts the cause of Christ. Well, the idea is to keep short accounts with God and short accounts with other people. Don't let it lie, because if we let the sun set too many times on our anger, here's the problem. We forget where we're leashed up. We let the sun set on our junk, our bitterness and resentment too many times. Then we forget even the source of our anger and we start blaming anybody around us. And and we think, well, um, I'll just change environments and that will that will solve everything. And because of that, you know, we think, um, I'll just move from this marriage to that marriage. The problem is this person over here. It's not me. Um, I'll just move from this church to that church. I'll move from this partnership to that partnership. I'll move from this friendship to that friendship. Or I'll just move. 
Janie was disgusted with Texas men when she was in college and she decided that she was going to move to Colorado because they were better men up there. And, and really, you know what part of the problem was? Was Janie. And she realized that later and she got a relationship right with God. So just moving doesn't change anything. It would be like me driving home from church today and I get in this wreck and I get this horrible laceration on my leg and I am bleeding to death. And I say, somebody call the paramedics, call 911. And the paramedics come flying up. They screech to a halt. They come out and we've got Steve's emergency room nurse. We've got paramedics in the church. They come up, Doug, you're bleeding. Let me let me fix your wound. No, don't touch my wound. Just move me from the crash site. Take me to Davy Dogwood Park. It's nice and peaceful there. The dogwoods are blooming and I'll be okay. But don't you touch my wound. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? No more stupid than what we do with our unforgiveness. We think if I move from this point to this point, just get away from the crash scene. I'll be all right. But we've not done the recovery work, the healing work that God wants us to do. And you say, I'm okay, but I don't think you are. The verse says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Who gives the devil a foothold? We do whenever we refuse to forgive other people. We we just throw open the big fat door and say, Satan, come on in. Here you go, Satan. Just take me and lead me. Do your work through me. That's what we're doing. It's that serious. And I think the biggest thing that keeps most Christians from experiencing the life that God wants them to have is this deal of unforgiveness, this bitterness and and anger in our lives. And, you know, if I were Satan, I'd probably do the same thing. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's written from the perspective of of a demon trying to cause a Christian to stumble. First, he he was trying to keep the person from coming to Christ. But then when he couldn't do that, he just spent his entire time trying to cause that Christian to stumble. And if you were Satan, wouldn't you try to get that little foothold in somebody's life? Because you can move from from a foothold, you can move to a stronghold. And a stronghold is a base of the enemy's camp where they're going to try to take over your life. And you move from a stronghold to a chokehold. And that's what Satan wants to do in your lives. And you know people like that. You know people that are eaten up with their past. Well, okay, if we want to keep Satan from having a foothold, stronghold, a chokehold in our lives, what do we do? This is the four D's, four D's of forgiveness that you can do. The first is defer to God. Just say, God, this whole forgiveness thing is from you. It's a God thing. I've been greatly forgiven, and so I want to forgive others because of what you did for me. In John chapter 20, this is, this is towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth. He's been crucified. He uh, has been raised from the dead, and his, his brave disciples are in the upper room with the door locked, hiding in fear. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Jesus appears to them. He's just raised from the dead. He appears to them. He walks into the room, says, peace be with you. And the Bible says in John chapter 20, uh, verse 22, then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty cool. Jesus, the first thing he does when he raised from the dead, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled that empty space, that that three dimension space, be filled with a fourth dimension, the spirit of God. And then notice this is really wild to me. The very next thing he says is if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? (laughs) What are you going to do hanging on to them? Stack them up and at the end of your life, stand before God and God says, what'd you do with the life I gave you? I collected the sins of others. And I think God's going to be greatly disappointed 
that you wasted the breath that He gave you. Um, Jesus' resurrection was proof of His perfect, sinless life that He lived on this earth. And, um, and the first thing He says after His resurrection is, you've got to do forgiveness work. That's amazing. It's the Texas two-step, since we're in Texas. The first step is you've got to have your empty space in your heart filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. The second step is forgive others. That tells me it's a supernatural, it's a spiritual thing that I cannot do. And so what I have to do is I've got to say, God, you're bigger than me. God, I do not. And, and I've done this. I've laid on my bed when I cannot go to sleep at night and said, God, I am so ticked off I can't even go to sleep. God, I'm so mad I can't go to sleep. And I don't want to forgive. And Janie and I have gotten into this habit of just being honest. We pray together every night. We take turns. Last night was her night. And boy, she was just as honest before God. And I rolled over and I said, I can't believe some of the things you just said to God. And she goes, well, I was just being honest. And I wasn't making fun of her. I was, I was, I just never heard my wife talk to God like that. And we've been trying to do this. Just be totally honest with God. And something happens when you're totally honest with God and you say, I can't do it. I'm an imbecile. I'm a child. I want to hold on to this. I want to make them pay. But God, you said. And last week we saw a few seconds of the Passion of the Christ video. And lots of you talked about that later. That seeing Christ hanging on the cross. All of a sudden, when you see what he went through to forgive you, what you did to me is not nearly as big a deal. So I have to defer to God. Second thing is I decide to take the initiative. Decide. God gives us the grace to do it. He gives us the power to do it. He gives us His Holy Spirit to do it. But you still have the choice of whether to do it or not. My wife is like one of the coolest people in the world. But she doesn't get, let me get by with squat. And she doesn't challenge me, you know, like fight. She does the nice thing. Mad at my sister one time. This is years ago because, you know, when you have children, you can get offended real quickly. And so her child did something to my child. I said something to her child. She said something to me. And we got into this thing. And so sis goes to her house. She lives not far from my mom and dad. And, and uh, I'm just ticked. I'm like, this is not worth it. We drove 500 miles to be abused by my sister. No way. Let's just go home. And Janie just let me rant and rave. And then she goes, when are you going to see her? Never. I said, I'll go right now. Knock on the door and sis opens the door and, and she's ready for a fight. I mean, you can tell by her language, her body language, she's ready for a fight. And I said, sis, I screwed up. And I love you way too much. And you just watched all of the anger drain out of her. Because my sister's a good fighter. <laughs> she's practiced a lot. And it just drained out. And, and it was one of the coolest things ever. And it, it happened because my wife just said, when are you going to do the right thing? That's not what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. Um, do you remember the prodigal son? He left home. Who took the initiative to do the forgiving? The father. Because the son was going to come back and beg for forgiveness and say, just let me live like one of your slaves. They live better than I live. And the father's looking for him. The father runs to him. A Middle Eastern father would never run. It was... It was considered beneath him. You get a slave to run out there, but a Middle Eastern father would not do that. And to see this dad hitch up his robe and take off running after that son, I'm sure the son was freaked out because the father took the initiative. And that whole story is about God the Father and how he took the initiative. All of Jesus' stories were about taking the initiative. We serve an initiative-taking God. 
And he did his part long before we even thought about doing our part. And, and as Christ followers, we're called to do the same. Romans twelve eighteen says, do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. To whom is that addressed? Do everything possible on your part to live at peace with everybody. To whom is that addressed? Us. Whoever is listening. Um, you and me, are, we're supposed to live at peace with everybody. It's our choice. So we've got to defer to God. We've got to decide to take the initiative. And then the next thing is, the D, is distance yourself from your emotions. Third D, distance yourself from your emotions. Now, just, just out of curiosity... How many people would would you say that you have a pretty um, above average temper? Let me see your hands. One person. Oh, okay. There we go. Everybody's having to think about it. And then they look around and as others are pointing at you, that's an indication that maybe you're one of those. Um, So when you're really hot, do you feel like forgiving? No. Our feelings are whacked. We can't trust them. You know, if truth be told, there are some Sundays... Well, this morning, I would rather, I felt like sleeping. I had a hard time going to bed last night. I had a hard time. Then you got this, I hate time change. Ah, I hear you. I don't know. I mean, I do know who thought it up, but I don't know why we keep it going. And, and I, this morning, at about 6 o'clock, which was 5 o'clock the old time, I'm laying there looking at the clock going, i got to get up and I don't want to. I felt like staying in bed. There are many times we went fishing, several of us, Donald and Jeff and Drew and, and Caleb and Andy, we all went fishing a couple of weeks ago, and I've been dying to go fishing again because there's something about throwing that, that lure out there, putting a worm, a plastic worm on, and you feel that little tug. I could go right now. I could go fishing if I you know, followed my feelings. And y'all be going... Where'd the pastor go? Oh, he went fishing. He left us hanging. That's what I feel like doing. You can't trust your feelings is the whole point that I'm talking about. And here's a key. If I don't feel like forgiving someone, that's what I've learned about me, then I know I have to forgive them. You hear what I'm saying? If you don't feel like it, it's even more important that you do it. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I've taught this song many times. When we go on our mission trip to Port Arthur uh, this summer, June 4 through 10, I think it says 5 through 11 back there, but you know, you can go on Monday or Sunday, come back on Saturday or Sunday, whatever you want to do. We're going to be building some dorm rooms in this church that hosts um, uh, other churches that come down there. They host them because they're a, they're a center to reach out to the folks that have been devastated by the hurricanes. So Port Arthur, we're right there on the, the border of Texas and Louisiana. And we're going to build these dorms so that every summer churches have places to go and, and they, can, they can hang out there. And uh, um, when we go, we're going to do a backyard Bible club. And one of the things I always do is I teach a lot of songs. But one of the songs that I've taught for years is the Fruit of the Spirit song. And, and it says this. Um, if you want to be a Fruit of the Spirit, you can't be a coconut. And you do... Yeah, some, some, many of you know it. Uh, you've been around. Well, you can't be a coconut. And it says, because the fruit is, and one of the cool things is you'll never ever, if you learn the song, you'll never ever forget the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you just go over and over this. You can't be a lemon. You know, the kids enjoy it. We have a good time. But the last of that list is self-control. Gentleness and self-control. Not emotions. Not feelings. When God's Spirit invades us and we live in the fourth dimension, we live in self-control. And so I know if I'm out of control that I am not being filled with the Spirit. Isaiah 43, 25 says, 
God's speaking. He says, I am the one who forgives all your sins for my sake. And then this is the key. I will not remember your sins. It doesn't mean that God just goes, I forgot. My mother-in-law is, is in the nursing home. She has Alzheimer's. She forgets without, you know, she forgets. God chooses not to remember your sins anymore when you confess them. That's the amazing thing. And so the miracle here in, in forgiveness is not about forgetting what someone has done to us. The miracle is remembering and choosing to forgive. That's where the power, uh, the Holy Spirit's power comes into your lives. Choosing not to bring it up when we have the opportunity. Because if, if you're the type, you know, you say, I've forgiven you. But then every time you have conflict with that person, you bring it back up and you roll out your scroll and say, number 159, you did this on April 2nd, 2006. That's not forgiveness. It's choosing when you have that opportunity to say, God, you've forgiven me, I'll forgive someone else. That's the miracle. Now, the last D is deliver your enemies to God. Fourth D, deliver your enemies to God. Jesus tells us to do it, and the Bible says that if we love Him, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. So, love equals obedience. Luke 6, 27, 28. But I tell you who hear me, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You're not excusing what they've done, you're not minimizing what they've done, not acting like it didn't happen, you're praying for them. And when you do, when you say, God, you know this was an injustice, but you're a bigger God than I am and you can handle them, you just let God do that, you're giving yourself an amazing gift. And and incredible things will happen in your life. And... uh there are three types of people. This is the last thing and we're done. There are three types of people that you need to do this with. Because you're leashed up to unforgiveness or they're leashed up to unforgiveness with you. The first type is uh, those we love the most. Our families. Maybe a mom, a dad, maybe children that you have, maybe a brother or sister. I've read stories and I know people in churches I've been in that that one brother would sit on this side of the church and one brother would sit on this side of the church. And actually in one church, it happened for 50 years. They didn't speak to one another. Seems like there's a little bit of anger and bitterness that somebody should have challenged them on. Because forgiving doesn't mean that you can't challenge someone to do what's right in the future. It just means unleashing yourself. So the first group is, is those people that are closest to us and God is testing us. If you can't do it in your family, then you can't do it anywhere. Second group of people are those in authority over us. Anybody here like being under authority? <laughs> yeah, man, I like it when people tell me what to do. But God has set up that structure. And if you can't be un under authority of somebody in your life here, again, you can use the, the passage in First John. How can you be under the authority of God whom you've never seen? And then the last group of people is folks that you're in competition with. All of us are in competition somehow, whether it's on the soccer field or in the business world. We're all in competition. Would you take your registration cards? And uh, they're just a little bit different this week. If you've been here before, just put your name. If you're your email, put that on there. But fill that out for me. And then at the bottom, even if you've been here a long time, this we're, we're trying to figure out some things. It says, how did you first hear about our church? Would you, um, would you check that? And if it has a place for other, and if it's something other than what we have there, 
Would you write that out? We're just trying to do a little bit of test research here to figure out what's the most uh, effective way for us to get the, the word of the church out. And by the way, we have some more DVDs back there, DVD samplers of different series that we've done. Um, that's one of the most effective things that we've seen. Uh, take those with you and hand it to somebody. Say, this is, this is what our church does. Now, as we finish this series, next week we go into our lust series. We're going to talk about it for five weeks, how to overcome lust. And we're going to talk about different types of lust, not just lust, sexual lust, but all kinds of lust and what God wants to do in your life. On Easter Sunday, that's coming up the 16th, we're going to be talking about the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you. The Bible teaches this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you to overcome any, any um, inappropriate desire that you have. And, um, and Easter is going to be a special Sunday, so we want you all to be here. We want you to bring somebody with you. But um, we're trying this whole series because we realize that our society, we're bombarded with, with images, with suggestions, you know, commercialization of everything. And so that's why we're doing this. So bring somebody with you. On the back of the card, here's what, here's what I want to do. Some of you have done this before, but, you know, sometimes we have to do it on a daily basis. If there's somebody in your life that you have something against and you want God's help to, to help you forgive them, then I want you to just say, I choose to forgive. This is going to be a prayer that you say to God silently in a minute. So you can just write that down. I choose to forgive. If there is someone you know who has something against you and you've not been to them and you would be willing to say to God, I'll go, just write those words, I'll go. I'm the only person that's going to see this. I read them during the week and I, I spend time praying over the cards. Um, but some of you may not be able to forgive. You may not be in this fourth dimension because you've never met Christ. And so for just a minute, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to tell you how you can come to Christ. And maybe you've been away from Him. You want to come back. Here's what you do. The way we say it around here is we ask God to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. So if you've never had a relationship with Christ and you want that, you want this fourth dimension to invade your life, then you just say, God, I have messed up my life. Forgive me, please, of my sins. And lead me for the rest of my life. It's that simple. Romans 10, 13 says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you ask God to forgive you, you're like that thief on the cross who says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All you have to do is say, God, will you forgive me? And the Bible says he will ad adopt you into his family. If you've been far from God and you want to come back, pray this. God, I'm sorry I left you. Will you forgive me and take me back? He's already done the work. He's already done the initiative. He's taken the initiative. It's your step. And then if there's somebody that's on your bench that you need to forgive, would you say, God, help me forgive? Father, I thank You for this series and I thank You for a chance to learn what You have to say to us about unleashing unforgiveness. And God, we want to look to You, our Master, today. We want to think about what you did on the cross and realize nothing anyone has ever done to us could be any worse than what we did to you. And even as we did not deserve forgiveness, someone in my life may not deserve forgiveness, but God, I choose to forgive because you first forgave me. Unleash us and lead us to safety and give us that life you promised. 
the abundant life, the Spirit-filled life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Wednesday, this Wednesday, 6.30, covered dish meal. You're dismissed. Tennis, Andy. You're in my world now, Grandma.